This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. They didn't do anything really to us. We did it. It was all self-inflicted. Like the first one, self-inflicted. The second one, self-inflicted. We had full control of the puck, and we just handed it over to him. I don't know, the third or the fourth one, you know, we turned it over at the blue line. Self-inflicted. You know, put ourselves in a bad spot to for the penalty shot, self-inflicted. Sixth one, terrible icing with full control of the puck. You know, sometimes you get what you deserved, and um, we got what we deserved today. Dave, it was self-inflicted. That's what my wife often says about me. Self-inflicted, Greg. <laughs> Self-inflicted. <laughs> and you know what? In, in many ways, I, I can't disagree with her. And certainly John Cooper felt like last night's loss to the Florida Panthers, it was mainly on the Lightning, not the Florida Panthers. I have some thoughts on that. I'm sure Dave So does. do I. I, I think so you do and I. I, <laughs> I know. I think you and I ha- are probably thinking the same thing when it comes to when an, impo- an opponent loses a game. I think... The knee-jerk reaction is, nah, it's about us, not what they did. And the players are, are just as guilty as coaches. I'm not saying John Cooper doesn't have merit, but I think it's something Dave and I can discuss throughout. We also want to get into the fourth line. How surprised are you by their performance over the last couple of games? I understand it hasn't been a whole season with the three guys we saw last night, but they really generated uh, a good chunk of offense for the Lightning last night and got them back in the game against the Panthers. Did you think Curtis McElhinney should have been pulled? We'll tell you why that probably wasn't the smart decision and why it was good that he stayed in and finished the game. And anything else you want to talk about is fair game at Bolts Radio. Are you starting to look at Tampa Bay's division and say, you know what, it's it's pretty competitive. It's This is going to be a dogfight to the finish, no doubt about it, with the Panthers, the Stars coming up, and then, of course, the Carolina Hurricanes. Dave and I are going to discuss for one hour. It's just open, Dave and I, with Steve and you, till 1 o'clock. And, Dave, let me bring in, we often hear a lot of times coming off a loss that it's, I always find it interesting. Before the game, when somebody asks about the team you're playing, There's a lot of praise, a lot of compliments being thrown that other team's way. But then if you lose, it's interesting how that situation switches. It's not about them. It's about us. And in some ways, I understand it and I appreciate it. But part of last night, at least for me, why Tampa Bay had those quote-unquote self-inflicted mistakes was because I thought the Panthers did a good job of pressuring throughout the night. Yeah, I mean, I look at it this way, Greg. We're in a laboratory, right? And we have our our beaker. Am I using my terminology right? I was terrible at science and in school. But in a game, you have kind of the formula from one team and the formula from the other team, and you put it into into the beaker, right? And it's a mix. So there's never a game where one team is just playing in a vacuum. The other team is always having an impact on how a game unfolds. Sometimes it's a positive impact. Sometimes it's a negative impact. I thought the Panthers played better than the Lightning last night. 
as they did in the first game of the three. I thought the Lightning played better than the Panthers in the middle game. So I understand where John Cooper is coming from because some of the Lightning's mistakes last night, and in particular, some of the mistakes that led directly to goals against, were what we would call unforced errors. Either the wrong decision or the right decision, but a poorly executed play. I think of the second Florida goal, where it's it's a nothing play. It's in the Lightning's end. Yanni Gord passes it across to the defenseman. It's a terrible pass. And there's no reason that that pass should lead to a turnover. Probably 99 times out of 100, it's it's on the stick and the puck is out of the defensive zone. But because that, that pass was bad, did that automatically mean that the Panthers are going to score? No, they executed well. They took advantage of the opportunity, right? They turned it into essentially a three-on-two or a two-on-one once one guy for the Panthers, Vetrano, and the defenseman for the Lightning were canceled. Then it became a two-on-one with Owen Tippett and Lusterinen against McDonough, and Tippett scored. So how do we think about that? The goal wouldn't have happened if the Lightning had executed a little bit better, but just because they didn't execute well doesn't necessarily mean that the other team is going to take advantage of it. So you do have to credit the Panthers for making a really good play after after the turnover. So I think it was a little bit of both. But to me, the, the biggest takeaway from how that game unfolded and why it unfolded the way that it did, and this is something that we heard from the Lightning, the Lightning's puck management was horrible. Horrible. And... Adding to that, they had some coverage issues, particularly off the rush. Now, some of it was fueled by bad puck management. And then the third thing I will add, and this was an overriding takeaway that Phil and I both noticed, at least through the the first half of the game, I would say. And then the Panthers got a big lead. And I think we had some score effects there. The Lightning made a push. They were down. We can talk about the, the late second period into the third. The Panthers just played at a faster pace again. Like the first game, the Panthers were thinking more quickly. They were reacting more quickly. They were playing more quickly. The Lightning were not playing as quickly. Pat Maroon said it. He said, we were slow in the defensive zone. In the middle game, the Lightning were not slow. (laughs) The Lightning were playing at a faster pace. And they were able to dictate more of the play because of that faster pace. So I think you and I are are on the same page on this. It's never just about one team. But John Cooper's the head coach of the Lightning. He has to look at what the Lightning are doing. And in his mind, that pass in the defensive zone that was a poor one that led to the tippet goal should not have been poor. The turnover inside the offensive blue line that led to the Vetrano breakaway and eventually the penalty shot goal should not have been turned over. The, the pinch that kind of ultimately led to Duclair getting loose down the wing, even though McDonough was back, it was, it was an ill-advised pinch by the Lightning in the offensive zone. That is something right. that they can control. And maybe in another game, in most games, they wouldn't do. So I think he's looking at that and saying, we could have done better, and if we had, they wouldn't have gotten these chances. But I do think you also have to say, all right, you know, the Panthers made the plays when when they had the opportunity, and you do have to give them credit for that. And 
their ability to apply pressure and play quickly, I do think had an impact on how that game unfolded. Yeah, at least he- in the first half of the game. And then once they got the lead, they I, I think they managed the third period in, in a way that they wouldn't blow a 6-4 lead once they went up again by two. Yeah, and I think the way I described it to Brian Engblom last night on the last call, Dave, was even when the Lightning were up one nothing, you just felt a little uneasy about the Lightning's performance because you felt like the Panthers were getting some good chances, whether it was self-inflicted wounds by the Lightning or what the Panthers were actually doing. Even late in the first period, they had a couple of really good scoring opportunities, and you just felt like this isn't – something's not right with the Lightning. And whether it was you know tighter gap control – whether it's something else that the Lightning weren't doing and that the Panthers were doing, I never felt comfortable when it came to how Tampa Bay was approaching that game and limiting the opportunities for the Panthers. Then you factor in Curtis McElhaney, and I'm not necessarily going to blame him for this loss. I mean, I I think there were, uh, out of the, what, six goals that were allowed, I think you could probably say there were a couple that you'd like to see him be a bit better on. The first one you can say is a fluke, but whether it's a fluke or not, you can't let that happen. You, you, can't, you can't have the Panthers have an easy open netter like that, even though that puck stopped when he was trying to play it around the board. So I think that's probably one he'd like to have back. And then I think initially when people look at the declare goal where he went around McDonough, your first instinct is to say, well, McDonough should have been a bit better and harder on that puck. When, in in fact, Brian Engblom came on and said, you know, uh, he was actually in position. That's one where the goaltender, you'd like to see him be a a little quicker, Dave, moving right to left. And McDonough disagreed, by the way. McDonough said he should have taken Duclair in the neutral zone and slowed him up. So he he owned some of the responsibility And maybe he's trying to protect the goaltender, too. I think when you give up six goals like that, it's probably pretty easy to, to pin the blame on the goaltender. I think the players probably were embarrassed by what happened. And listen, Dave, giving up six goals with this Tampa Bay Lightning team, that's something we're not used to seeing. I mean, what was the one stat heading into the, was it the first Panthers game that they played in this mini three-game stint where they basically went four games with just allowing one goal? I mean, they were really good defensively, and they still are. I mean, you're going to, the other factor too is you're going to have games like this. You're going to have a clunker. I think the question just becomes, is this turning out to be a, a little bit more of a difficult matchup than we anticipated with the Panthers based off of how well they play and what they want to do uh, from an offensive standpoint? But I, I don't fault John Cooper keeping Curtis McElhaney in the game for this reason. It's not so much you know, giving Vassy a whole night off, which I think is important. That, to me, that wasn't the case at all. It was basically letting McElhaney play. I mean, Dave, the guy hasn't played a lot of hockey over the last year. And even if they gave up eight goals, I mean, how many games is McElhaney going to get? So the ones he does play in, I think he needs to finish it. And he's got to use the games to stay as sharp or get in game shape as much as possible. I think he knows that. I think the team knows that. And I think that might have been the biggest reason he stayed in the game. McElhaney does need reps. And I think he had mentioned one of the challenges of having to go a year without seeing game action is reading the play and reacting to things at game speed. And I think the Duclair goal is a great example. It's hard for a goalie in a practice 
or even in a scrimmage to replicate the speed with which you have to move from post to post to make a stop on a guy as quick as Duclair. And that's just one example. But I I think that that illustrates the point that was made about why it's not easy to, to not play in a game for a year. So from the standpoint of getting McElhinney more reps and letting him see these plays, it's important because we're going to see more of McElhinney this year. McElhinney does need to get reacclimated, And if you pull him because it's a game in which, you know, he's given up three, four, five goals and then six by the third period, that's not going to help him get the reps that I think he needs and and the team wants him to have. Because it's not like Vasilevsky is going to play the remaining 42 games, right? I mean, McElhinney is going to be getting more starts. So I do sure. think that, that that factored in. And also the game was the game was fairly close still. I mean, at no point were the Lightning it completely was. out of it. You know, when it was 5-2, they still had, what, a little under half a game left to try and rally, and they almost did rally. Yeah, and look, I'm not going to fault him on the Strawman goal. He didn't see the puck, and it was a pretty decent shot from Strawman who got the puck off quickly, and that was a deflating goal, made it 6-4. And It was. We can get into that a little bit later on, but this question, I saw this a couple of times, Dave, pop up in my timeline last night and this morning, and I'll just pick it from Bob. He says, we see many teams make a goaltender change when the starting guy is fighting the puck and off his game, also to get the team going. I don't recall any time that Coop has done that in his tenure. Any ideas why? I, I don't know why. I just know, Dave, he doesn't typically do that. And maybe he has you know, the belief that it's the backup goaltender's job to finish this game, to get him some reps, and I'm just not going to overextend our goaltender. But I don't know if there's anything more to it than that. I don't know. He didn't really answer the question about that, and he was kind of asked, and he said, you know, I didn't really lay it on McElhinney. So that's kind of where he was. That's what he's saying. He is not one to usually call out the goalie in a way, uh, unlike other coaches who will. But he did call out his team, and I think it's clear that whether McElhinney was – a victim of this rust, if we're going to use that word or not, whether it was him or Vasilevsky in the net last night, in John Cooper's mind, the Lightning did not play well enough in front of him. And that's what John Cooper's focused on. Yes, he is. And um, there were some people, too, that were talking about if John Cooper really is of the mindset that this is a, a meaningful game, and, and I'm paraphrasing, and that they, they need to go for two points every game. You make the switch to Vasilevsky because every game is important. I understand that. I, I, I think sometimes we're reading that too literally when we say every game is important. It is. But I think you also have to understand that I don't think anybody thinks Tampa Bay is not going to make the playoffs either. In other words, if Tampa Bay is a fringe team, and they're coming off a non-playoff year, and there's a lot of uncertainty with their roster, and you just don't know what they have, I think you do look at every game and say, my goodness, we need these precious two points or else we're not going to make the playoffs because the margin of error for us is so small. 
Dave, I don't get the sense that's the case with the Lightning. Yes, every game is important, but I don't think we're going to look at this and say, remember that loss they had on February 15th, the Panthers, 6-4? That really is going to come back to bite them. I mean, you could, in, in a perfect world, maybe you, you may come back and say yes, but I don't think any of us are looking at this and saying the Lightning, because of this loss, somehow it's going to hurt their playoff chances. I don't look at it that way. The Lightning are not going to play perfect hockey the whole season, nor will any team. And you're going to have some games where you don't play well. I think it is disappointing, kind of big picture, that they had two poor performances in the three against the Panthers. But bigger picture, they're still in first place in the division. They are still in a very good spot after now 14 games, which is, what, a quarter of the season. So they're 25% in. They put themselves in an excellent spot. And I don't know that there is a reason to overreact to this at this point. Now, if the Lightning have, in the next 10 games, if they have eight that look like the two that we just saw in the last three, then that's cause for concern. But they've played much more good hockey than poor hockey this year. And they have not had back-to-back regulation losses as of yet. The one regulation loss against Columbus, they followed with an overtime loss. So they got a point out of that game, the game in Carolina. And then their other regulation loss prior to last night, they followed with a really strong performance in, in a win on Saturday against the Panthers. So let's see how they do in their next game which is scheduled to be Thursday in Dallas. Yes. I think there is some question about what's going to happen in the immediate future for the Dallas Stars and Nashville Predators, who are scheduled to play tonight. But with the power outages and the bad weather in Dallas, That's that a is scary up in the situation, air. By the way. Yeah, and we can get was, into that. But was, if, if the Lightning do keep that game on the schedule and they, they do play in Dallas on Thursday, let's see how they bounce back and, uh, and what, kind of, what kind of performance they register. Because generally, they've come back after a loss and played quite well. We will get into that Dallas situation. Uh, our producer, Steve Ersnick. Steve, if you're there, I, I want to bring you into the conversation. Because you mentioned to me in passing last night when we were tearing down and, and heading home that there may be a, an opportunity for the Lightning to, to host that game on Thursday, right? If they can't do it in Dallas, with, assuming they can get out. <laughs> with, yeah, with no unlimited fans in the stands, the NHL could just move the game to Tampa. And you know, move two later games to Dallas in the season. Um, I don't. I mean, I don't know that they're going to do that. It was just you know, with, it was an with, interesting with, thought though. When you don't I mean, have fans in the stands or are very limited at this yeah. point, it's a lot easier to make those switches or to change things. I, I don't know. Uh, there may be an event at the arena on Saturday that may cause a problem with Saturday's game, but, uh, but I mean, there's ways they can, you know, move the schedule around and such. Now. That also assumes that Dallas could get out of Dallas too. That's and that's, I mean, that's a part it, of it too. But that's a huge issue. I mean, I and I was Dave I, and Steve. I was reading on my timeline last night when I got home from the game, and it was late. And just you know, people were asking how bad is it right now down there, and there are people who haven't had heat for twenty four hours because of the temperatures and the issues that they're having and that's a scary situation so now i mean it's not just yes. you know, are they going to play this game there are people out there who are physically suffering not used to these cold temperatures i mean it's kind of a fluke thing but now they don't have the proper electricity working to get whether it's running water whether it's 
proper heat. And, you know, you, you start talking about the the elderly and then young kids and, and infants. I mean, that, that's just a mess, Dave. Absolute mess. Very scary situation. You don't expect to hear about that in Texas. No. And Dallas seems to be, I mean, they had that awful accident on the highway, too, which I guess was yeah, weather-related yeah. as well. So a very, very tough situation right now for for Dallas, greater Dallas, and and the state of Texas. Yeah, thinking about them for sure. And, and I thought Steve outside the box thinking there, you know, we could see something happen on Thursday at Amley. But the reality is they may not feel comfortable getting out of there. Yeah. And we'll see how that, you know, plays out. We talk about the safety of the players with all these tests and COVID protocols. Certainly uh, you want to make sure these people are safe traveling uh, right now. So we'll keep an eye on that. You can listen to uh, Lightning Power Play throughout, and we'll have things posted via our Twitter feed. We are getting uh, a lot of questions coming in specifically about the game last night, but also about the division. And this question comes from Al Dave. He wants to know, are the Lightning getting into some bad habits, namely defensive structural breakdowns? Are they back to sacrificing defense for offense? Is the right side D's lack of depth exposed? What do you guys think? All right. So, Dave, I know you want to jump in there. Let me just give you my go for it. Basic overview of that question. Anytime you experience a loss and have breakdowns, I think we sometimes magnify the problems. Keep in mind, up until the Florida series, as we said, the Lightning defensively were playing pretty well. And this goes back to last year, the way they kind of recommitted themselves to figuring out how to win a championship. And part of that was being structured a proper a proper way and also being better harder on pucks being more responsible i think that was the gist of it and they certainly did that and they parlayed that into a stanley cup i do think they had some breakdowns last night i'm not going to overreact i think the panthers are better than some people anticipated and i'll tell you this right now dave i think with the schedule coming up we're not going to see tampa bay play as well as they did when they were taking on the nashvilles and the chicagos and the red wings because the competition is getting better. I think we have to keep that in mind. I'm not panicking. And I, I guess that would be my response to Al, that if the breakdowns continue to occur, Dave, then maybe we can have a conversation about it. It's becoming a problem. But I don't get the sense they're sacrificing offense. Uh, they're sacrificing their defense for more offense. I don't, I don't get that sense. I think that was a problem last night. But I think that that was a one-off. I look at the the other bad game in this three game set for the Lightning, the Thursday game in Sunrise, and I just uh, there were other problems at play in that one that weren't actually in effect last night. The Lightning's compete le- level was terrible on Thursday. I don't know that their compete level was necessarily poor last night. Their play with the puck was poor, and some of their decision making was poor. And I think Al's point is a fair one if you look at last night's game as the only game. (laughs) Because I think what he saw last night concerned him, and that's why you you talk about getting into bad habits. I'm not going to say, kind of like you just mentioned, I'm not going to say one game means that you're getting into bad habits. In fact, the Lightning have shown the ability to self-correct and self-police quite well, which is why... When we had the bubble play last year, the Lightning didn't lose two in a row that whole playoff. 
And I just mentioned to this point this year, they have not lost two in a row in regulation as of yet, which is a very positive sign. So let's see if they're able to self-correct and self-police, or if not self-correct, have the coaches reinforce the right way to play. But I, I, I am with you that I do not look at last night's game and say this is some burgeoning problem unless we see it regularly moving forward. But this team knows what it needs to do to have success. Right. And because they've tasted success playing the right way, when they get away from it, they know what it takes to get back to playing the right way, as opposed to a team that is trying to figure it out, which is, I think, where the Lightning were last year, early in the year, trying to figure out how they wanted to modify their game and make those adjustments and 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 play in a way that they were not sacrificing defense for offense. Now they've done it, and, and they've they've seen how effective it can be. So my expectation is that that this was kind of a one-off. Yeah, but they were definitely they were definitely more run and gun last night, particularly yeah, they in were. the offensive zone. They were, and as I said before, I, I never got the sense that Tampa Bay was comfortable in their system last night. But I'm going to give a little bit more credit to Florida Day for making them be a little uncomfortable in that game. And look, for this mini three-game stint that these teams played, Florida was the better team. And do I think the Florida Panthers are better than the Tampa Bay Lightning? No. Come on, folks. I think it's okay to acknowledge that in the regular season, right now, that the Panthers got the better of the Lightning. But if you told in me two of s- three, yeah. But the Saturday game is not one that we just you know erase. Right? No, you never. I mean, do. the Lightning. You never do. So, so this is the thing. Like I, I wrote my I wrote my extra shift column this morning, and and one of the things that that I was thinking about as I was writing it was okay. The Lightning did not handle the Panthers team speed in their two losses. Right. But they did handle it in the win. <laughs> so it's not like the Panthers are this unstoppable force that the Lightning simply have no answer for, which I, I kind of ties back to what John Cooper was talking about when he says self-inflicted, because he knows his team can play to a level that would neutralize more effectively what the Panthers are trying to do to them. But that's why you play the games, because it's not only about the standard that you potentially can reach, it's the standard that you are, in fact, reaching on that night. How are you executing? How quickly are you making decisions? Are they the right decisions? These are variables that can change from game to game. And I think we had a question on yesterday's show, didn't we, Greg? about like how can a team play so well on on one night yeah. and and poorly in the next sure those are the variables right yeah, right, right i mean sometimes you are executing at a higher level that's just the way it is you know, ask a tennis player ask a tennis player yeah, on the sure. atp tour like there are some matches where they are just dialed in and they're stroking you know cross court winners and you know hitting a perfect lob and and serving out of their mind and then the next match Maybe it dips a little bit. That's sports. That's the way it goes sometimes. You're never 100%, and this is for another conversation, that's why cheating in any sport is bad because it gives you that unfair advantage (laughs) to make your body feel fresh like we saw with the PEDs and baseball and and all that fun stuff. But part of it's the human element, Dave. And part Mm -hmm. of what you said, that's being in the zone. You know, there are some games where everything you touch turns to gold. I mean, think about it. You know, in basketball, every shot you put up goes down. That next night you come out, you feel pretty good, 
nothing goes down for you. It's the same thing in any sport. Sometimes, you know, how many times did the puck roll off Alex Kalorn's stick last night? Yeah. He had a number of those that happened. You know, typically Alex Kalorn is not going to have the puck explode off his stick like that. He's going to usually bear down and at least generate some scoring opportunities. Do you think their defense is going to have that many issues in their own zone with turnovers? I thought the third line in particular. Now, they had a tough assignment going against basically I thought was the first line of the Panthers, Dave. I thought they had a horrible time with puck control. I mean, they were making passes in their yeah. own zone. It was going off guys' skates. You know it- what happened to them? And I remember saying on the air with Phil, we both noticed this. Yeah. It happened three or four times. So the line they were going up against was the Barkov line. And they were That fantastic. was the best line on the ice. They, yeah, they were, were fantastic. They were out of this world. <laughs> they were. And so, like, they were in the zone last night. Yeah. The Barkov line played better in the third game than it did in either of the first two including the first game, in my opinion. They were phenomenal last night, and the Gord line had had a hard time with them. But what happened three or four times to the Gord line, Barkov's line has the puck in the lightning end. They're, they're trying to make a play. The Gord line takes the puck away. The lightning get out of their own end, but instead of getting to the red line and getting it in deep, there is a play made in the neutral zone that we will call ill-advised, poor decision, and the puck got turned over. Yeah. And the Barkov line is steamrolling right back in. And now you're kind of caught in transition. Now, none of those plays actually led directly to goals, but that epitomized kind of the night for that line, which I agree with you, that was rare for them. They're usually incredibly reliable. And when they get the puck to get it out, they get it in deep. And the, like there were times I thought Barkov's line was at the end of a shift and they were like, all right, we lost the puck. It's coming out to center ice. We're going to head to the bench here. Oh, we, we got the puck back. <laughs> and now we're coming back in for, for a second chance on this same shift. And interesting, Greg, we haven't talked about the Jamel Smith Maroon Volkov line yet. And I know we're going to as they were, it wasn't even close how much better that line <laughs> right. was yeah. as opposed to the other three lightning lines last night. But what was the matchup Cooper went to in the third period against Barkov's line? Jamel Smith. He put that line out against Barkov's line in the third period based on how the first two periods had unfolded. It's a smart that point. Tells, that tells you about how impressive yeah. that line was for the lightning. Not only were they driving play and they popped in a couple of goals – and were dangerous throughout the night. Coop's like, all right, Barkov's line is is giving us fits. Who am I going to put out there in the but third period? But that's smart coaching. Smith, go yeah. out there, right? That's smart coaching. Go, go with, you, you mentioned, Dave, maybe the Lightning in general didn't have it going, but the fourth line did. They were and great. They were clicking. And one of the questions we asked today, let's, let's transition to it. Are you surprised so far by the fourth line's production over the last, let's just say, you know, a couple of games? And I don't think it's a coincidence that we're seeing the fourth line do what they're doing a little bit with a guy like Jamel Smith getting an opportunity to play. Again, uh, picked up a point last night, got into a fight with Carter Verhage, which I thought was really interesting. Maybe he's starting to pull Volkov Dave into that area where he's starting to be productive. He gets a couple of goals, although Brian Engblom... Uh, says that uh, Pat Maroon eventually should get that goal because um, Volkov basically swiped at his stick. 
Because if you look at that goal, I had a hard time figuring out who scored it. Yeah, I mean, if if you give if you give that goal to who do they originally say it was originally Maroon, then they changed right. it to Volkov. To me, the way the way it was set up was he was saying that I think Volkov took a swipe and it hit Maroon's stick. That Maroon actually had the puck on his stick, but it was Volkov who hit Maroon's stick because yeah, it's a backhand weird, shot. What was weird about it, Greg? So, so Brian is right that the puck was on Maroon's stick, but if Volkov's stick blade was behind Maroon's stick blade, that would be one thing. I actually thought somehow Volkov's stick blade got in front of Maroon. Yeah, stick so that's blade. what. He, and, and the only reason why I think it was behind it is because that's a backhand shot, top shelf. Yeah, <laughs> that's really hard to do with that velocity. As, as I told Brian, I thought only Sidney Crosby, I think, can make that mo- that backhanded shot with that type of velocity, which leads me to believe that it was more behind Maroon's stick than whatever the other scenario might have been. But it, it, look, it it's did. almost like Pat Maroon was in one of those obstacle races <laughs> and he had to like yeah. jump over a sand pit <laughs> and like do a hurdle right. and like climb a rope and yeah. jump over a wall and then right before the finish line he hands the baton of Volkov who walks across. <laughs> That's right. That's a good point. That's a good way to look at it. And Dave, listen, the way stats have been going this year, I don't know who scored that goal. Let's be very clear. They could give it to somebody on the bench. I, I, I don't know what's happening with <laughs> yeah, did that. Did you notice but... if, if people were following on NHL.com, I don't know how you messed this one up. But Toronto scores a yes. penalty shot and they gave the goal to Duclair. Right. Right. I mean, listen, I'm not going to critique people too much with how they do their jobs. I think everybody in any situation has difficulties with their jobs. But I will just say this. Doing the intermission report sometimes and looking at the scoring, I'm just going to tell you I'm a little hesitant sometimes to run down the scores. You know, I'm just going to leave it. I'm just going to leave it at that. Hopefully it gets better. I'm going to leave it at that. But the fourth line has been great. And again, I don't know if this is a long-term thing. But I think there's something to be said for, particularly Volkov and Smith. Let's stay with those two guys first, Dave. I do think there is something to be said for having guys play like they could be out of the lineup in a couple of games if they don't play well. In other words, you know, we talked about last year, one of the reasons why I thought Tampa Bay played so well. You know, They had some guys who were playing for contracts, that it was almost a show me year, you know, and, and two guys that come to mind were Shattenkirk and Bogosian. And I thought they really elevated that back end's play with how they played that whole year. Bogosian obviously lesser than than Shattenkirk because when they picked him up. I think there's something to be said for a guy like Volkov and Smith to look at this and say, we're getting the opportunity to play. I don't know how long it's going to last, but if we play the way we're capable of playing, let's at least make the decision hard for the coaching staff. What do we have to lose? And that fear of maybe being benched and not seeing the ice again, I think sometimes is a real factor that a lot of us don't calculate when we're looking at a player's performance. Well, look, let's talk about Volkov. Because I, I agree with you. I think that line was terrific. I thought they they played very well. Smith has been solid in the two games that that he has played so far and had another assist last night because he made the play in front <laughs> to, yeah. to Maroon on that goal that we don't know who scored it. But the guy that stood out for me was Volkov. 
and we were wondering, you asked Eric on yesterday's show, whose confidence has been helped more by scoring in the Saturday game? Tyler Johnson, who also scored last night. So I think it did help his confidence. Or Volkov. Volkov looked like, if not a completely different player, a much more confident player from his first shift last night. And whether you were watching on TV or one of the the fortunate folks that were in the building to, to watch the game in person, and we tried to relay it on the radio, I'm guessing you saw it, Greg. It was obvious how much more dynamic he was playing no with doubt. confidence. No he doubt. was he was strong in the puck. He was making decisive plays. He was powerful. He was barreling past guys who were trying to slow him up. He was just out muscling them. He was hungry on pucks. The goal that he that he scored without any dispute was a, a shot that he ripped right through Drieger. I mean, he was so when we talk about and we have talked about him a lot this year, what we have seen from Volkov in past preseasons and and he has the tools and maybe it hasn't come together just yet for him. Last night was an example of him putting it together. Now he has to do it again, right? And he has to do it consistently. But that was the Volkov that I think the Lightning want to see. Absolutely. <laughs> game in, game out. And I thought he was phenomenal last night. I thought that line was the Lightning's best line. Yep. And I thought Volkov, if he wasn't the Lightning's best player, he was right up there. And by a country mile, it was the best game he has played in the NHL. Isn't it funny we asked that question and it probably ends up being Volkov what that goal meant for him a couple at of least games for before. one game at least for one I mean <laughs> right. look, Dave that ended and now up he's a, got at least one more maybe two more Dave it, it, it ended up being a genius question <laughs> yes Eric won't give you credit but I will I yes Eric Eric will not give me credit and I don't care for the credit it is it was just an interesting dynamic because Dave as you know confidence does a lot of things for a lot of different players and I think for a player who was trying to still figure out his role on this team as you as I, I've told you before on this show and and you've you've talked about it as well I think when you're a skilled player it is hard to make that transition being on a line that's not going to get the high-end minutes and I'm not saying Volkov deserved it I'm not even saying throughout Volkov's career in the minor leagues he has shown the ability to consistently be a point producer I think he has shown flashes and when he has it's been really intriguing to watch Clearly, the Lightning feel he is somebody who is one of their top 12 or 13 forwards on this team or else he wouldn't be up here. But at some point, you do have to produce. And this is what I go back to when I talk about the fourth liners and even the third liners to a lesser extent. You cannot be somebody, Dave, who just takes up space and skates up and down the ice and plays good defense. And I'm going to go a step further. A guy like Mitchell Stevens, who we found out is going to be out longer term, and that's unfortunate for him with his injury, it's definitely long-term. It's nice to be a guy who wins face-offs. But Dave, in this league, you have to be able to show that you can contribute offensively as well. You've got to have that in your game. It's one of the reasons why Cedric Paquette, I think, turned out to be a pretty nice fourth-line player for this team. 
You know, he was somebody that could kill penalties. He was somebody that would drop the gloves and stick up for his teammates. He was somebody that back-checked, took some bad penalties, somebody who back-checked, but somebody who started to add a little offense to his game. And when I say offense, you know, maybe it's 8 to 10 goals. I don't think that's an unrealistic expectation. But you can't be a fourth line and not produce at all offensively in today's game. There's too much parity, and you need every edge you can get to win games. So while I appreciate somebody's skill set who is, let's say, a very good penalty killer, or somebody who's a good in the face-off circle, or somebody who's just more responsible defensively, at some point, you're going to need to show up offensively. And at least that fourth line right now, they're doing that. And I think that's a big deal, and it's the biggest reason the Tampa Bay Lightning Dave got back in that game Last night. Yeah. We often hear this play or this line dragged us into the fight. I thought the fourth line dragged the rest of the yes. lightning into the fight. Yes. Because, look, the Strawman goal early in the third was a deflating goal, and it made it 6-4, and maybe that took a little bit of the steam out of the lightning sails. And I think that the Panthers were not quite as aggressive once they went back up 6-4, maybe because they had been burned. <laughs> they had seen, you know, leads of 4-1 and 5-2, get get reduced and the 5-2 lead had been reduced to 5-4. Right. But I think in terms of sustained pressure and fewer mistakes, the Lightning's third period was probably their best period, but I would credit what the fourth line did to to help elevate the play of the other three lines. And so I'm going to go back to that question that we had about whether it was the cause for concern question, I think, about you know sacrificing defense for offense. Is that a cause for concern? I came out of last night's game feeling this way, and I may be proven completely wrong by this. I came out of last night's game thinking the Lightning played really poorly with their puck management and coverage, but they're going to correct that based on their lineup. And, and what we've seen from them. However, <laughs> what the fourth line showed was an, was an absolute positive, and in a way is more of a positive than the negatives were negatives, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Because I think that – I don't think that we're going to see that kind of porous play from the Lightning moving forward, whether it's the Florida Panthers as the opponent or not. Now, maybe the Panthers are a team that can force that, more readily than another team. But I don't think that this is going to be something that recurs. However, if the fourth line can continue growing and and playing the way that they have, and specifically yeah. Volkov, because what, what changed for him? He got that first goal, and it seemed to have a huge effect on him. That, to me, was a, a super encouraging sign. You know, I look at the game last night, like Braden Point did not have a particularly impactful first 40 minutes. He was he was more impactful in the third. I didn't think Stamkos had a particularly impactful game, even though he scored in the first period. Palat was quieter than he normally is. You mentioned Kalorn was fighting the puck. I'm trying to think who else. Phil mentioned Joseph. I think Joseph Joseph His played speed well. Showed up, yeah. Uh, sure. The third line had its struggles. Uh, I think that that is an exception rather than the rule. Some of the the mistakes the Lightning had on their defense in terms of reading the rush were uncommon. So I think that the mean is higher than what we saw from most of the Lightning lineup last night, except for the fourth line. 
and maybe the fourth line's mean is now higher than than what it had been, spurred on yeah. by Smith's ascension and Volkov getting the well, goal. And I think you're right. And I think I wonder if those two players continue to perform with the injuries happening right now. And listen, when Sorelli gets back, and that may be a little longer, but when he eventually does, you would assume he goes back to being the second line center and that Matthew Joseph ends up going to the fourth line where he was excelling with Pat Maroon. I don't think Pat Maroon's the guy that sits, Dave, and I don't think Matthew Joseph is the guy that sits. They've done a lot, Maroon, in his career, Joseph, what he's doing right now, to warrant a place in this lineup. But I'm wondering, with Volkoff and Smith playing the way they are, does this, I don't want to say force John Cooper to go more 12-6 and six than 11-7, and seven, but the way those guys are playing, I think, gives you a little bit more confidence that says, yeah, I want to keep Volkoff in the lineup or I want to keep Smith in the lineup because they're playing pretty well. If those guys weren't, I think it's an easy call or not easier, but I think on some nights you're more accepting of going 11 and 7. And they may still do that, Dave, down the road just to get guys in the lineup and switch things up. But by those two guys playing the way they are, they've now created this competition between themselves and have made the decision a little bit harder for John Cooper when guys are finally back healthy, meaning Sorelli and then Joseph moving down to the fourth line, to decide which one to keep. And I think those are good problems to have as a coach. And the other part of this, too. So Sorelli is out week to week. So, I mean, that's that's going to be a status quo situation here for for a little while. And also, there may be additional injuries that may create more openings. But what we were wondering in talking with Eric yesterday about the cap implications, and this is what I was trying to get out with the question I asked of him about, all right, we're a quarter of the way through the season, and the Lightning have done everything they could to create more space because the cap is not what your current payroll is for the year. It's what you're actually paying your players each day so if you can pay your payroll a little bit less because you have guys on the taxi squad and the minors whatever then you may give yourself a little bit more room later in the year and I'm saying this because with now Barry Boulay and Colton on the taxi squad with Chris Gibson and Borgman that's four on the taxi squad and if they put Cal Foote on there when he didn't play yesterday, that would be five. But you have to have a minimum of four. If they decide to go with 11 and seven, they could just scratch. You want to scratch Jamel Smith, let's say. I'm not saying they they should do that or they want to do that. But let's say you go 11 and seven and Smith is going to be scratched. You You don't have to necessarily put Smith back in the taxi squad and expose him to waivers. The reason that you would you would want to do that is to save the money on your NHL roster. The reason not to do that is you're fearful that he may get claimed. The same would be true for Luke Shen. Maybe they want to go 12-6 and six and they want to play foot. I mean, foot is going to play more this year. So when foot comes in, does that mean Shen is out if they go 12-6? and six? Well, maybe you don't want to put Luke Shen through waivers. But maybe you've done enough in the first quarter of the season to create enough wriggle room that you can just keep Luke Shen on the NHL roster and not put him through waivers to get him on the taxi squad. Right. You know what I'm saying? Sure. That makes so sense. that would create a little yeah. bit more rocks, roster flexibility. We want to go 12-6 and six with foot. We want to go 11-7 and seven with this forward out. But 
just because the forward is out doesn't mean that we're going to have to expose this player to the waiver wire again. Well, and I got to be honest with you, too, with Colton and um, Alex Barry Boulay up now on the taxi squad. I know John Cooper talked about getting those guys in, not wanting them to sit. I got to I don't I don't see how they play unless there's injuries, because I don't think you're going to sit Volkov or Smith, assuming those are the two guys that would come out of the lineup. I just think those guys right now, you don't want to mess with Volkov's confidence. It's at the highest we've seen. And Jamel Smith, again, Dave, this is this is just kind of how life works, and some guys get the breaks and some guys don't. But you can look at Jamel Smith's career as a Tampa Bay Lightning player and say every time he's been on the ice, he's done some done something in a positive way. Yeah, had a fight. And, and he's not getting it. Yeah, he got in a fight with Carter Verhage. We asked, you know, some people asked, I asked Brian the question, was there a history between those two guys at all? Because that was seemed a little bizarre. But, you know, hey, look, uh, Jamel Smith, I think, can defend himself. Not a heavyweight by any stretch. What I'm saying is, though, for a guy like that, I mean, sometimes this is just how things work. No matter how well you play, you always seem to be climbing that hill to get the attention of the coaching staff to eventually keep you in the lineup. And I feel like Smith is in that position right now. I think, ideally, Volkov is the guy they want because they've drafted him, they've developed him. He's a guy they like with high-end speed and skill. But also, Smith is on the on the other side saying... I'm producing. Every time I get an opportunity, I'm producing. At what point does that pay off? And maybe it doesn't long-term with the Lightning, but as I told you, Dave, yesterday, I think Jamel Smith is also playing for the other teams out there to let him, uh, let them know that he is a guy who can be a consistent contributor at the NHL level. It worked for Carter Verhage last year. That's it for really sure. Did. I mean, I don't think these other teams knew that Verhage would be available, but the Panthers sure saw an opportunity there, and and gobble him right up as soon as he became a UFA. So you're That's right. Some... I mean, players have different motivations and yeah, sometimes multiple motivations. But for Smith, I'm sure he's just happy to have the opportunity to play and and, and is happy that he is playing as well as he is right now yeah, and contributing. For sure. And, you know, you only get so many opportunities in life. What you do with those opportunities, that's up to you. But he's certainly making the most of them. We did get this earlier today, Dave. And it does look like the game between Nashville and Dallas is being postponed due to the continued power outages in right. the Dallas area caused by that severe weather. It said a makeup date will be announced as soon as it is confirmed. So, again, Dallas having a couple of games canceled. Their next one is scheduled, again, to host Tampa Bay on Thursday. And we'll see if there's any decision being made to not only play that game, but where will it be played. So we wanted to throw that yeah to our audience and well some of it is contingent on people getting their power back which may be tied to what the weather is going to look like and i confess i have not been dialed into what the weather is going to look like in the coming days and maybe if it's bad weather they can still get some of the electricity back but i think that's the concern right that that putting on a game would require a lot of energy Uh, in terms of electricity, correct that kind of energy, not to mention the energy expended by the people who are actually playing in the game, but I think that was the the smart decision by the stars and the city of Dallas and the state of Texas to to conserve the energy and and not put those games on yesterday and tonight. For sure, for sure, and you know it's just one more thing that the league is trying to to overcome this year to get to fifty six games and. You know, some teams are pulling it off better than others, and we'll see how how this all plays out. But we're thinking about the people in Texas for sure. And that led to maybe the last topic today. And again, keep those questions rolling in because we got one here from Dustin at Greg Linnelli, at Dave Michigan, and at Bolts Radio. 
And that deals with the division. Now, Dave, you know that we don't like to overreact after a game, even after a week of hockey, but we are dealing in a shorter time frame when it comes to evaluating these teams. And I, I think we can say with a, a fairly straight face that the Discover Central is turning out to be more competitive than a lot of people initially thought. We're going to see Dallas at some point here in the next couple of games or week. We'll see how that plays out. We are very high on Carolina, even though that, you know, maybe they kind of sit in the, in the background a bit because they're not the sexiest team, so to speak. But we'll get into them in just a little bit. We just saw the Panthers. And, you know, you've got Columbus, who is, is going to be there. You know, they got John Tortorella trying to figure it out with his team. And Chicago is an improving them. team. Bad loss yeah. for Columbus last night. It was a bad loss for them, for sure. And I'm sure Torts isn't going to be upset about that. But, you know, they're uh, the way they play, I think they're going to be competitive and, and they're going to be in that mix. Chicago, I, I don't know what they are. They're playing better. And currently they're in fourth place. So the way it looks right now, February 16th, Tampa Bay's in first with 21 points. And then you've got a three-way tie for second with Florida, Carolina, and Chicago. Although Chicago has played 17 games, uh, all with 20. And the question we asked, are you surprised uh, or how good is the Discover division? And I think through 15 games, we can say that it's, I think it's pretty competitive. And we've only seen Carolina once, but we know how good they are, Dave. And I, I think it's, it's turning out to be a, a bit better than we anticipated, maybe. So the three teams that have put themselves in the best position are the Lightning, the Panthers, and the Hurricanes. And you mentioned they're the the top three teams with Chicago tied for third, but the Hawks have played more games. So if we look at points percentage, those are the top three teams. So not only have they put themselves in a good position, I think based on what we have seen so far, they are the top three teams. Now, the Lightning have not yet seen Dallas, so I'm going to – hold off on that but the stars have not gotten off to a fabulous start they're five three and four so they've pointed in nine of 12 games but they've only actually won five of 12 games and let's not forget they won their first two coming out of the gates against nashville so assuming these games do get played this week I'm curious to see how the stars look. You would figure that they would find their rhythm and and move up in terms of their their point total and and their position in the standings. But I don't know. I, I don't know what to make of them. Columbus has been a competitive team, but I don't know that they have been at the level of these other three that we just mentioned, the Lightning, the Panthers, and the Hurricanes. The Hawks have done very, very well to gain points. But I will point out, Greg, that against the Lightning and Panthers, they don't have a win. They lost all four. One of them was in overtime to the Panthers. And I don't believe that they beat Carolina. I know that they played two against Carolina. Off the top of my head, I can't remember how they did. I think the Hawks have have really done quite well against the other teams in the division, and that has helped them yes. get a lot of points. Which look, that counts, right? Yeah, you I mean, if I they're mean, if they are better sure. than four other teams, 
they're going to get into the playoffs in terms Justin. of their, their point total. So I'm not discounting that. I'm just saying that some of their point total, they have they have taken care of business against the Detroits and the Nashvilles, et cetera. But uh, to, to me, at least at this point, a month and change into the regular season, it looks like it's the Lightning, the Panthers, and the Hurricanes, yeah. and then some some competitive teams behind them. But I think those are the three teams that have that have kind of put a stamp on the start of the season so far. It's a good point. Dustin says, I'm not going to put much stock in the division since you only play seven to eight teams the entire season. Playoffs will be the real decider. There will end up being some pretenders that make it based on division quality. That well, may be maybe, the case. But, yeah. but if you're going to get to the semis, you have to get out of your division. Correct. Correct. And as we know, Dave, in playoff hockey, anything can happen. And, and look, I look at the West. So I think most people will look at the West and say the Sharks are kind of figuring things out. The Ducks are kind of figuring things out. Maybe the Kings are figuring things out. What do we have with Arizona and Minnesota? Unclear. But you've got Vegas, you've got Colorado, and I'll throw in St. Louis too. And so you might say, well, you know, that's a top-heavy division, blah, 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 blah. The team that comes out of that division will have had at least one, if not two, really tough playoff series. If we expect that those three teams are going to make the playoffs, which I don't think is a huge leap of faith, (laughs) and we look at St. Louis as still an elite team, which I do, then it may not be the deepest division, but getting out of that division in the playoffs is going to be quite an accomplishment. For the, for the team that does it. We're going to end the show on a little bit of a downer because I think it's appropriate to mention it, Dave. We got word yesterday was circling that um, Vincent Jackson passed away. And, you know, just a, a long-time productive member, not only for the Buccaneers organization, but just in the community. And, Steve, I know the Lightning put out a statement last night, and he did do a lot of work with the Lightning Foundation, didn't he? Well, as good of a football player as he was, he was even better member of the community, uh, particularly with military causes. He's from a military family, uh, but he also worked a lot with the Lightning Foundation at, with events at McDill and others around the community. So it's really sad news. He was 38 years old. Uh, he played five years for uh, Tampa Bay for the Buccaneers. Was with the Chargers prior to that, but yep, um, that was really sad news. We all got yesterday afternoon prior to the game. So it was one of those. It was like a double take. Vincent Jackson. What? Yeah. So I'm sure we'll get more information on how uh, that happened. But, um, you know, of course, you know, praying for his family and uh, everybody that knew him. That's a that's a tough one, considering just all the the great success we've seen here the last couple of weeks with uh, the Bucks, And it's really been a, a great time. Uh, that was definitely a downer. So we're thinking about, you know, Vincent Jackson's family and, and everything there. So I uh, wanted to share that with you. Lightning did put out a statement and, um, you know, did great work in the community. All right. That's going to wrap up today's show. We still have more questions coming in. Please hit us up on Twitter at bolts radio. We'll get into it tomorrow as well. Noon to one going to be trying to get a national guest for you guys. So uh, if there's anything else you want us to break down on this show, or you want to hear Dave and I uh, elaborate on a bit more, let us know. I mean, this, this show is for you guys. So we want to kind of give you the, behind the scenes of what goes on a lot of times and, and give you our opinions. But if there's something that we're not hitting that you want us to, to talk about a little bit more, please uh, hit us up on Twitter at bolts radio or our personal Twitter accounts at Dave Michigan and at Greg Linelli. Dave, great job as always. We'll do it again tomorrow.
Talk to you tomorrow. All right, that is Dave Michigan. Thanks to Steve Versnick, as always. I am Greg Linnelli. Thanks to you for listening. We always appreciate it. We'll be with you again tomorrow, noon to one, on Lightning Power Play.